This is the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, episode number 305. Hey there, Veg Zeners. Welcome back to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a healthier plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki. And this is Larissa. Now, you don't have to be a bird nerd to get outdoors and do a little bird watching on National Go Birding Day, which is April 27th. Even if you've never cracked open a field guide to identify a bird or ventured out to look at birds beyond your own backyard, we have got some great basic information for you today to get you started because it just so happens that my lovely wife and co-host is a bird watcher. Bird a bird nerd. nerd. She is a bird <laughs> nerd. She, she, is, she embraces that. I do. And <laughs> so, so if you're a drinker, you can play a nice little drinking game with this episode. Take a drink every time we say the word bird, because I bet mm. it's going to happen a lot. And I happen to have a, a brewski right in front of me, so <laughs> I was will what play. inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but before we get started, uh, we do have a new rating. Yes, this is an exciting one, because I used to live in this city that's being referenced. So... The title of this is Brought Y'all With Me to Charleston. And the nice. reviewer is brown.m311. Uh, and the review goes like this. I started listening to this podcast the first day I decided to eat plant-based, which was November 1st, 2018. I definitely knew my why, but didn't necessarily know my how. That's why I love Vicky and Larissa, because they make me feel like it's okay to not be perfect. And if I mess up, get back on, and even seasoned vegetarians are still learning. Yep. We sure are. <laughs> That's right. I recently moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I used to live there. Uh, I recently moved to Charleston, South Carolina from Central Texas, and I'm so grateful I was able to bring them with me. Although I have caught up on all 300 plus episodes, I sometimes go back and re-listen to past episodes just so I can feel inspired all over again. Thank you so much for y'all's humble judgment-free space that I can always rely on. Nice. That's Thank awesome. you so much. What a great review. And you know, this is awesome because we had just put out a call asking for folks to leave us reviews if you haven't done so already because we did run out. We got we caught we, we caught up. <laughs> we read all of our five-star reviews online. And uh, so we greatly appreciate this one, and uh, we'll be looking for some more soon. Uh, they, that does help people find us on iTunes, so it is much appreciated. Definitely. And, you know, I'm going to uh, point out one quick little thing, and hopefully this will not be an issue by the time this comes out. Uh, but we've been having some... Um, issues with iTunes, just iTunes. So if you use another, if you don't use iTunes, if you listen to us uh, either on our website or on like Google Play or Stitcher or any of the other uh, platforms, you, you won't have this issue. But iTunes has been giving us a little bit of a problem with our latest archive podcast. That would be uh, uh, episodes 201 through 300. And so as of right now on iTunes, those are not available. So you can listen up to episode 200 on the first two archives, and then you can listen to 301 through current on the current podcast feed. But the other one, that third archive is currently unavailable. I'm working with, with Apple to try to get that resolved. Hopefully it will be resolved by the time this comes out uh, in a few days. 
But if yeah. not, that's that's the thing. Yeah, it's crazy because we have two other out. We have two other out there, and we have the current feed. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> if for some reason, this is just giving us issues. But right. It so all comes just, with the. It all comes with the turf sometimes. Just and it, gotta, and they'll be back soon, one way or yeah. another. And, uh, and you can get them on Spotify. You can yes. get them on Stitcher. You can still get them on our no website. No issues there. Right. All right. Today's sponsor. This has not been a sponsor for a few episodes now, but our sponsor today is Old San Antonio Trading Post, which is... Who's our, that? That is our online <laughs> vintage store. So we sell vintage item store, I should say. Old San Antonio Trading Post offers a wide variety of vintage items to include books, Vinyl, clothing, bags, kitchen, toys, games, housewares, brands include Pyrex, Indiana Glass, Disney, Parker Brothers, and more. We just mm-hmm. sold a Wheel of Fortune cap earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally <laughs> earlier random. Today. Yeah, so we, we have fun going out to estate sales mainly and finding these awesome vintage items. And we've come to learn a lot about vintage items and what people are looking for. So if you're ever looking for something in, sp- um, in particular that may be something from your childhood, you know what I found? Uh, this Well, you know what I found, but I'm <laughs> telling you, you out there in podcast land, I found these little f- figurines they were square figurines. They were McDonald's workers that we used to have. It was a play school McDonald's set. And they had the little trays and the little people in them and the little workers. And they were they were square. <laughs> and at first when I saw them, I was like, that looks so familiar. And then when I looked up closer, I noticed the little McDonald's, McDonald's thing. And the pocket. I was like, oh, that is so cool. That reminded me. So I had to buy them. They were only like a dollar. But right. I bought them for me because uh, it just reminded me of my childhood. I think my sister owned that. But we're finding cool stuff like that all the time. Yeah, and we do buy stuff for ourselves yes. <laughs> now and then. Uh, or or buy something to sell and then get it home and and start looking at it and go nah this is too cool yeah <laughs> we're and gonna we're, keep this yeah and we're working on a website for that as well just to have a uh, web presence outside of or where we can link to our stores which are on eBay Macari Poshmark and Etsy for right now though we will have the links in the show notes in case you are interested in seeing what we have okay are we ready to get into the main topic tweet, tweet. this is you my dear I'm ready. I've got my bird suit on, <laughs> not my birthday suit, my birthday suit. <laughs> and w- what's really cool is we just got to go birding yesterday. We did. It was fun. It was fun. All right. So if you've never watched birds before, and we'll talk about the kind of the difference. Taking okay? a drink. Taking a drink. <laughs> so let's talk real, real fast. Let's talk about the difference between bird watching and birding. Because there is a little bit of a difference. Yes, I, I need to know that too. Because right. I was, I, you got the outline for this together, right. uh, but I was kind of helping a little bit, and you said not bird watching, right. birding. Right. Okay. So bird watching is technically just you see a bird and you look at it, and oh, it's you know you observe birds that you just happen to happen to fly into your view, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, you know, you have a feeder in your backyard, uh, although I would argue that that may be birding. Anyway, uh, birding, on the other hand, is it's a hobby that's actually, you're actually pursuing birds. I don't want to, you know, it's it's the (laughs) actual, no, not hunting, not hunting, but actually um, looking at or for birds with the kind of intent and object of uh, collecting them as a, 
you know, I've seen this, I've seen this. So birders have what's called a master life list. Most serious birders, uh, or even casual, will have a master life list where you record all the different species you see. And um, you can record, you can be specific, you can be real general, you can just, you know, I saw this, or you can say, I saw this bird on this date in this location. And, you know, it was raining, and it was, or it was a 1000 degrees and whatever, you'll be as general or specific as you want. But that's more birding. So it, it has more of a, a purpose, purposeful. So it's more proactively going right. out to find them. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about here. Okay. And if so you, how do I get started if I just if I think this is something I want to do? Right. Well, it, you know, just to 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 see if you it's something you enjoy. Um, you don't have to break the bank on equipment. You know, some people will say, well, I have to have these really expensive binoculars and I have to have this and I have to travel to distant, you know, locales to see all these different. No, you really don't. If you want to get started on birding just as a hobby, get started simply, you know, start really simply by just hanging a feeder in your yard, if if that's an option for you. And even if you have an apartment, you can do this, you can hang a feeder off your back, you know, um, porch. And then just start observing the birds that come to your feeder, and you'll be surprised, I think. Yeah, I think it depends. Uh, some of it depends on where you live, too, right? So we're fortunate to, a to degree, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, we live in a migration mm-hmm. path, right? Which is really cool. And when I say it depends, of course, you're, you're going to have birds pretty much in, right. in many, many places. Right. But I just mean the variety. Right. I think can right. depend on where you live, right? And then you know, when you're talking about binoculars in the beginning. Any pair of binoculars will do. I mean, it, you don't have to go and invest, like I said, in, in, a, in a really expensive pair. But just to get your eyes a little closer to the birds, any pair, you know, if your, your dad had an old pair of binoculars, you know, in a drawer somewhere, or if you've got uh, just a, like, even like opera glasses, you know, just to get you a little bit closer. And then if you decide, hey, I really like doing this, I want to do it more, then I would say, you know, invest in a, a better pair of binoculars. So when we talk about equipment, then binoculars are okay, so essential equipment, there's really only two things, binoculars, and a field guide. So the binoculars, I have a pair of uh, Vortex Diamondbacks that I've had, let's see, they were a birthday present from you, uh, probably about eight years ago. Mm hmm. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you may not remember either, but I think they were around $200 yeah, at I the time. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Right. And they're good. They're not like top of the line, but they're not, you know, El Cheapo don't really do much either. They're good, good um, binoculars. So you really don't need to spend a whole lot of money. But if you're serious about pursuing birding, avoid the cheapo ones that are, you know, under 100 dollars um invest at least a hundred two hundred or three hundred dollars will get you a really great dependable pair that um as long as you take good care of them will last and will give you good results we'll put in the show notes how about we put the ones you have mm-hmm. i'm sure they're probably out on amazon mm-hmm. or if they're not we There's can probably link a out newer model they are. by then but yeah yeah and know. then maybe we can put a little bit of a less expensive Variety. for somebody just yeah. starting uh, the, sure. even the ones you had before the first pair that I that the the ones that you kind of handed down to me because I'm not that much of a birder. But do you remember the first pair you had before these Diamondback? No, were they Diamondbacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you I had some before the ones I bought you. I yeah, you I don't remember, them. but I I can imagine they were probably my dad's. 
yeah, from been. somewhere or my uncle's. Um, but we can put one, you know, in the mm-hmm. lower price range that are still good, and then we'll put the the uh, these right, that right. You have. Yeah, sure. And then okay, so the uh, that's one essential. The other essential thing is you need a field guide, and a field guide is an illustrated. And when I say illustrated, um, some are drawings and some are actual photographs. But it's a you you really need a field guide for identification purposes. They're typically organized, and it, it's it's a book. Um, although some field guides are now available in app form. I was going to say that might be. Well, I guess it depends too, because maybe you don't have really good reception where you are. That's so that's the, a good yeah. point. Um, a lot of them are downloadable, but again, then you know it's storage is an issue because it's a big it's a big thing. Uh, but even with the apps available, I have apps on my phone, but I still prefer the book. You know, there's just something about the book. This is the part that kind of trips me up a little bit, to tell you the truth, because sometimes I don't even know where to go. Like mm-hmm. there, because the field guide is arranged in by um, what do you call it? It's by by types. Yeah, by types, and mm-hmm. I don't even know what if I'm new, I don't know right. what type I'm looking at. Right, and so here's here's what you want to. Uh, well, let me let me let me talk a little bit more about the field guides themselves. So, like you said, they're typically organized by group or type. So, uh, for example, birds of prey, um, shorebirds, warblers, flycatchers, um, ducks, geese, and swans, those are all groups. And so that's how the, the guides are broken down by the, you know, the, the largest sections. And normally there's some sort of coding. So, you know, each, each group has a different color code on the, on the edges of the pages, kind of like a dictionary, you know, so you can easily find different sections. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, they contain either photos or drawings, illustrations of each bird that's included, uh, including variations. So male and female variations, because, you know, coloring and markings can be different. Um, winter and summer variations, again, you know, different colors in winter and summer. Uh, and then also adult and juvenile uh, variations. They also include detailed descriptions of markings, sounds, behaviors, and habitats. And all four of those, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, those are the things that you use to help you distinguish between species or between subspecies or between, you know, male, female, juvenile, adult, things like that. You know, it's funny, even with my hearing impairment, I can hear the bird, I guess the tone of many of them are within a range that I can Mm -hmm. hear pretty well. I don't know if it's the musician in me, the music, but I can hear it. And then when you have it on the app and you say, is this what it sounded like? Mm-hmm. I can hear if that was it or not. Right. That's that's cool. And that's where the app does come in handy. Right. For sure. Uh, and then uh, another thing in field guides are zone maps. So when you're trying to identify a bird, you can it, each... Each bird, each species that's in the the book, along with the photo and all the other uh, descriptions, will have a zone map, and it's color coded. So it's um, usually it's like gray for a migration, uh, red for year round, um, blue for winter. So they're different, and you know they, it may vary a little bit, but so you can see, is it possible that it's even this bird? Because mm-hmm. if if it's a bird that you're thinking, oh, maybe this is, you know. Um, olive-sided flycatcher, you know, but then you look and it shows that that bird is never in your area, then you can eliminate that. <laughs> yeah, only found in 
Right. Can- Northern Canada. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably not hanging out in South Texas. Right. Uh, so as far as field guides go, there are several good ones to choose from. So mine is, is Kaufman. Uh, and I love it. Kaufman is photos, not drawings. And it's a little bit bigger than a pocket guide, but it's still it has a flex binding and I can still cram it in my back pocket, you know, with my jeans or my shorts. And I, I like it and it's well worn and well crammed and <laughs> bent and written <laughs> in and, and everything else. But so that is the Kaufman field guide to the birds of North America. And of course, if you don't live in North America, you can get field guides that are for your continent or your you know specific region if you want to go that small. Another good one is the Stokes Field Guide uh, to the Birds of North America, again. <laughs> uh, also uses fo- photos, but it's a little less portable than the Kaufman. And then Sibley, the Sibley Guide to Birds, is considered by many people to be the best for illustrations. Then there's also the National Geographic Field Guide uh, to the Birds of North America. And that one is really compact, and a lot of serious birders uh, use that one. All right, we'll have links out. I'm sure there's uh, probably yeah. links out. I'll out, link to all kinds. Like Amazon, yeah. Right. All right, so let's start. Well, we talked a little bit about birding apps. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah. Um, now, I, I do want to mention one thing that you, you mentioned. You kind of touched on this. Uh, the apps are optional when you're actually in the field. It's, it's nice to have them, but as you said, you may not have reception or you may want to preserve your battery if you don't have, if you're going to be out for a while and you don't have an extra battery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not essential. And if you're using an app to keep a life list, you can always take a, a notepad and a pen and just jot things down and then add them to your your list later this life list is like a cooler version of pokemon go right these are actually real (laughs) real things that you're adding to your list all right but you know for identification the apps are really good as well um or, or websites because you can like as you mentioned you can actually listen to recorded calls for different species to help you with your identification one tip though that i will say is in the spirit of um, observation, not interference, make sure that you're using headphones. If you're in the field, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in your in your house and you see a bird at your feeder, that's it's different. But if you're in the field, use headphones when you're listening to calls because if you if you just play it out in the open, it can interfere with with the birds. If if they're if it is the species you're thinking of and they're around, you can interfere with that. That's a good point. And you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's a good point because there is some etiquette to this, mm-hmm. right? right? And and that is kind of or or code of conduct, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, and that is definitely one that you don't want to disrupt. Mm-hmm. You want to observe nature it, as it is. You don't want right. to disrupt or do anything. Right. Like we that. disrupt nature enough <laughs> without yes, definitely. Uh, you know, messing with the birds. Uh <laughs> All right. And then, um, yeah. And then the other thing I mentioned was to, for keeping track of your life list, if you're using life list. And some people have multiple lists. Some people have their master life list, and then they'll have a list for um, certain regions or like your, your home. So I have one for our home, which is, you know, everything that I see here mm-hmm. at our house. Um, and then I have my master. And, you know, but if you go to certain coastal regions a lot you know you could have a list for that and and sort it out that way it depends on how detailed you want to get okay so i'm going birding what should i take with me okay so water definitely water and especially if you're in a place like this more water 
lots of water. Um, uh, put a cooler in your car. So, you know, if you leave your car and, and go, uh, you know, on a, to walk a trail or, or whatever, take water with you, of course, but then have water in your car. I can't tell you. I've done that before where I run out of water. And it's just ugly. And it takes away from it does. the fun and you get dehydrated yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And speaking of sun, sunblock, sunblock. And, and something to protect your skin. I yes. would say, I know it gets 110 here in the summer, but a long sleeve, mm-hmm. like even a loose fitting mm-hmm. shirt right. would be a good idea to keep right. that off of you. Right. Uh, bug spray. Definitely. And that's a big, a big must for us around here. Not so much in the winter, but in the summer. Oh, yes. And um, if we go to like Mitchell Lake, which has y- water. Yeah. Any place there's yeah. water, um, you know, you're going to have lots of bugs. All right. Also, um, a, a phone battery. So if you ha- we have the little portable batteries, you know, that you charge at home and they they mm-hmm. will charge your phone. Um, Which we love, by the right. way. We'll, we'll have a link to the ones we use. These mm-hmm. are lifesavers. These fit in your front pocket mm-hmm. and they can charge your phone, I think, Super completely fast. our iPhones in just like 15, 20 minutes from yeah. almost nothing. Yeah, we use them when we go um, to estate sales, mm-hmm. you know. All right. So... Um, yeah, so if you're going to be out away from your car for a while so you can't charge your phone and you're going to be using your phone for identification or, you know, GPS or whatever, um, take a battery. Also, a small notebook and a pen. And just as I mentioned, it's, sometimes it's easier to jot down new species and then add them to your, your app later. Or you might, might also want to make some other notes, um, you know, as you go along. Okay, wear closed toe shoes. Don't wear sandals. Don't wear high heels. Don't wear, you know, anything like that. You want to protect your feet. Um, you don't know what you're going to step in or on or around, or you don't want to, you know, get graspers on your toes and your heels. Well, that's and- the least of it. So I, I've, that's one of the, the kind of cautionary things. And that's the only thing <laughs> I worry about you when you go out birding by yourself is mm-hmm. we have rattlesnakes here. We have sent one time you were, we were birding down by the river and, I remember there was a jogger to my left and you were on the right looking up in the trees and out in front of the road, the path, there was a coral snake mm-hmm. and those are poisonous. Mm-hmm. So, um, you always, I would just say, be very aware. This probably will be yeah. in one of the tips section, but going to your point about closed toe shoes, mm-hmm. you don't know what's out there. Uh, you know, there's probably snakes or spiders or things like that. And you want to just be sure you're protecting yourself. Yeah. And, and to your point too, you know, it's easy to get lost in, in what you're looking at or what you're seeing or looking for or listening to uh, when you're birding, but you also need to kind of be aware of your environment around Mm -hmm. you. You may have, depending on where you are, I know out where, where we are, we've got feral hogs, we've got coyotes, we've got, like you said, snakes and, you know, bobcats. And depending on where you go and the time of day and the time of year, just you know, be aware of your surroundings. Um, one more thing on the what to take and wear, depending on the environment, again, uh, you may want to wear long pants. And, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's hot, it can be hot, but you can get lightweight, um, like hiking type pants or boots and, you know, wear those because you just want to protect yourself as much as you need to. Okay, what are some other other tips? All right. So it's always helpful when this goes for any new thing that you're doing to kind of read up a little bit beforehand. So before you go out the first time or even, you know, the first few times, if you decide that you want to keep doing this, just get your field guide and just kind of thumb through it, become familiar with the book 
and how it's laid out and the terminology that's used uh, for bird identification. There are lots of different parts of the markings, different types of, you know, places where markings, um, eye patches or eye bands or wing bands, things like that, that you can make yourself familiar with those terms. So when you see a bird, then that'll help you to find the appropriate one in your field guide. So are there like some websites or something that are a good idea to check out before you head up? Because like I said, somebody just starting out, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about if I wasn't, if I didn't go with you, I would kind of be a little lost, mm-hmm. like even knowing the difference between between birds of prey or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. right. uh, what is what is that? where do I even, you know, like if right. I see something, how do I don't know what section right. to go to what group that. it, right. right. Uh, well, yeah, there are a couple websites that I really like. eBird.org is a good one. And then allaboutbirds.org is probably my favorite. It That is the managed by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Uh, that's their website. They do a lot of research. They do all the bird counts and they do a lot of good, uh, put out a lot of good articles and blog posts and other resources. And they have identification. Uh, find You can put in, you can search their website and eBird too. I think you can do this. You can, if you're looking to identify a bird that you maybe saw, you can uh, search by shape or size, and then, you know, narrow it down by color and like region and things like that. So that those are really helpful. What are some other tips we should consider when we go out? Okay. Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Uh, Usually when I go with Larissa, I've got my headphones on. Mm -hmm. I'm usually listening to a podcast or just Mm -hmm. walking around enjoying nature. She's she that's more her thing but i love being out there in nature though right so you know low talking is fine you don't have to like be totally silent you're not in a a monastery or anything um and you know so low talking is fine and if you're birding with a friend or a group i mean it's encouraged because you can help each other and but you should avoid shouting making other loud noises you know tromping through loudly through brush or or whatever just you know yeah remember it's their that's their home. Right, exactly. All right, also, be patient. Mm, that's a good one. Um, you know, birds are all around you. You, and it, it's, it's guaranteed that they are aware of your presence before you're aware of many of them. You know, I mean, there, there are so many birds that are in trees, that are in bushes next to you, that are, you know, in ground cover that, that you don't know. Yeah. Because they know you're there. Okay, I'm going to take a little side path here. Coolest bird I ever saw, I was actually, when I was working in my corporate job, and we have a courtyard, and I saw this little, it was all sorts of colors, bird hop out of the bushes. I've never seen this bird. I've lived in San Antonio my entire life. And my first thought actually was that a bird had escaped from SeaWorld, SeaWorld. because SeaWorld is just, was just a couple of miles, maybe a mile away. And I thought, oh, maybe a something got out of there because I'd never seen a bird like that and it hopped out and then it hopped back in the bush and I immediately looked it up online to discover it was a painted bunting mm-hmm. which is which is here they're just mm-hmm. very elusive right. and uh, it was it's now my favorite bird <laughs> it just looks like it was dipped in a lot of different colors yeah they really are beautiful okay so anyway um Sorry, I took us down a... That's okay. (laughs) It was still a birding path. It was. just took us down a little trail there. All right. So uh, also with uh, being patient, sometimes 
you just have to you just have to wait. So sometimes sitting or standing quietly in one spot for a while is really necessary to allow the birds that are in your vicinity to kind of adjust to your presence. That's a good point. You know? And that's probably why this is so much a you hobby and not as much a me hobby. I don't yeah. get as patient with <laughs> things like that. You're much more patient. And with you know like me. This. I can stay. You'll see me standing oh, there. Oh, yes. Just, you know, with my head up or my head down, just listening or, you know, with my eyes closed listening. And mm-hmm. then when I hear something, I can kind of start to scan the area that I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes you do have to do that. And it's, I think it's very... It's almost meditative in a way. Definitely. Uh, You know, I'm not a big person to do meditation like, you know, structured meditation, but it's very, you have to be calm. Well, you have to be mindful. That's what I love about it. And, you know, when Larissa was birding yesterday, I was taking pictures with my dad. We went to the botanical garden here in San Antonio and I was talking to my dad about this too. And I said, what I love about photography, which is a little more my speed, is that uh, it makes you pay attention to things around you Mm -hmm. in much more detail than I would just regularly during the day. It makes you slow everything down. And I imagine it's the same thing with birding, right? Mm -hmm. You're just having to just be quiet and Mm -hmm. still and listen to what's around you. Right. Definitely. All right. So avoid, you want to avoid big movements. Um, You know, you don't have to be a statue, but try to avoid running, making wide, you know, gestures or hand movements or just otherwise causing a a commotion. So that and and you may think, well, you know, that'll get like birds that are around me to to rise up and then I can see them. Well, yeah, but they're just going to keep right on rising. (laughs) They're not going to just stop and hover and say, okay, here I am. am. Some of them are very elusive too. They're very skittish. So once you lose that, it's, it's probably gone. (laughs) Exactly. Right. All right. So avoid, you want to avoid brightly colored or white clothing. You don't have to dress in camouflage. In fact, there's no evidence that wearing camo, you know, outfits will, will help you <laughs> in any way. Um, but it's, and it's not so much about the colors themselves because birds don't see color very well, but it's more about that, the contrast. So if you're wearing bright colors or bright white or, you know, really light colors in an environment where those colors are not an environment that's brown or green, uh, when, when you move, birds will pick up on that movement more. Because it's it's a contrast. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're wearing a green shirt or you know brown pants or something like that, they're not gonna. It, that could be, you could see that more as like tree movement or you know branch movement or things like that. Right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the issue with that. All right. You want a bird with the sun behind you, and you know even if you're not looking directly into the sun with your binoculars, don't do that. No, by the way. don't, don't ever do, <laughs> do not that. Do that. No. Um, you don't want to have the sun in front of you if at all possible at, at any angle, you know, whether it's like at 1130 in the afternoon, in the morning or, you know, early in the morning when it's still low, you want to try to get it behind you simply because if you're looking, if you've got light uh, behind the birds that you're looking at, they're going to appear in silhouette. Yeah, that's going to be hard more to see anything silhouette. like that. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to see colors. You're not going to be able to see um, patterns, you know, as clearly. So you want to try to get that behind you. All right. Uh, don't wear sunglasses. 
And I mean, that kind of sounds like a bummer to some people, but tinted lenses will alter the way colors look Definitely. and make it harder to identify. My neighbor's house looks purple with my sunglasses yeah, on. <laughs> I know. It's really crazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, two more little quick tips. All right. Flocks are your friend. So especially, and this is especially true when you're doing like water birds, waterfowl, um, shorebirds that tend to, to congregate in large flocks. If you take the time to observe, ob- observe, <laughs> observe larger groups of birds like this, two things, you can practice your identification skills. That's, it's a really good thing because ten, typically it's not all one species. You'll have several species of ducks or several species, you know, of um, shorebirds or gulls. But you, you can also pick out maybe the occasional more unusual bird that's not as common, but maybe kind of hidden in there. Hmm. And you, you may find, you know, some new ones for you. Okay. And then the last tip is uh, pish. Pish. Ish. I have not heard this. Psh. Okay. So making a small sound, like a kissing type sound or like a, pss, you know, pss, mm. um, or some people will on the back of their hand, you know, mm-hmm. um, not super loud. You don't want to like blow Zerberts or anything, but <laughs> um, can sometimes cause small birds like in shrub shrubbery or trees around you to kind of pop up just to see what that sound was. Mm. What was that? What was that? Did somebody... Psh- it's just you know? a bird nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but that can kind of clue you in to, okay, there, there's there's something over here. And then you can kind of focus your, your binoculars on that area. Yeah. Um, See, maybe they have a book. And maybe, then when they hear yeah. the psh, they, they're like, what is, what is that sound? Oh, what oh, kind of- it's bird nerd. It's the... <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Oh my god, that's so that's so true. And you know, I just thought of one one other thing. One that reminded me, and then we'll move on um, to just a quick couple of identifying things. When you're using your binoculars, uh, a lot of people will say at first, you know, I can't. I, I saw a bird in the tree, and but then when I when I looked down and got my binoculars and then put them up to my face, I don't know where I was looking. Yeah, yeah. So the easiest thing to do, don't take your eyes off that spot. If you see something in an area you want to look at with your binoculars, keep your eyes on that spot. Reach down, grab your binoculars, lift them to your eyes without moving your head. Gotcha. And oh, then yeah, that makes sense. you're at least close. I mean, you may inadvertently move a little bit, but you're at least right there. And then you can kind of slowly pan around. Okay. So just a couple of quick identifying things. This is kind of maybe uh, birding... 201 okay a little bit and then we'll we'll close it out um so there are four things that you typically will use to identify species all right so size and shape so size and shape you'll you use first because that'll help you narrow uh what you're looking at in your field guide to a certain group or a certain family so obviously you know there are obvious differences between members of the family, the group that's comprised of ducks, geese, and swans, and the group consisting of swifts and swallows, or uh, the group, the hummingbirds, you know, obvious differences, right? There's a difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. So you that's can... about the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so you can use use size and shape first. Okay. Uh, then the second thing, once you kind of think you've narrowed it to 
a family or a group, then start looking at color patterns and markings. And then uh, to try to distinguish between the different species in the fa- in that family group. So different types of ducks, you know, have different markings. So you want to kind of look at what colors, what where their markings are, what do they have um, eye rings around their eyes, um, it, things like that. The next thing you'll use, if you haven't gotten it yet, is behavior. So is the bird foraging insects from underbrush? Is it, you know, flitting from branch to branch way up high? Uh, if, if you're looking at ducks in a pond, is it dabbling? So like skimming, just skimming food from the surface, or is it diving? And so there are two different types of, of there's, there are dabbling ducks and several species of those, and then there are diving ducks and several species of those. So that can help you. And then the last thing is what's the habitat? So is it hanging out high in the trees? Is it, you know, does it lurk in the underbrush? Are you in um, a desert? Are you in like a savanna or a forest? Or, you know, that'll help you kind of too. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, like when we go to the duck pond, if, if I wasn't with you who could tell me what it was, <laughs> what I was looking at, I might even take a picture on mm-hmm. my camera phone or just take sure. a short video. Like you were just talking about the ducks. If it was skimming the water, if it was diving mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm trying to look through my book and I'm mm-hmm. trying to observe the duck and all that stuff. It's, it can get a little overwhelming. So, you know, don't, don't want to take the fun out of it for you either. So just maybe take a quick little video. Mm-hmm. And then when you come home, you can say, Oh, let me see what that was and kind of get yourself a little more familiar with I've them done that, that too. Yeah. You know, if I don't have a, a guide accessible or if I don't want to take the time right then I'm, I'm on my way somewhere and I don't want to stop and, you know, open my app and, and, or search the web on my phone. Yeah. I just take a picture or take a couple pictures, try to get, you know, some, any like angles or markings or anything like that that can help you identify it later. Yeah. Well, thank you, Larissa, for sharing well, your... Thank you for having birding. me on the show today. <laughs> your birding experience. Tell folks where they can find links to all of your stuff. <laughs> uh, we No, great, this is a great episode uh, for the, for that because I think I think this is a great hobby for people who really enjoy it's nature. Fun. And again, it is something that just slows you down and it's very... It's good for you. I mean, we most people know nature is a good good place to be it's kind of a healing uh, place to be for us for our souls and i think getting out and just spending some time in nature and observing it in this way is is a little different than just kind of sitting under a tree you know not that there's anything wrong with that either but i I like this because it seems like you're a little more active actively observing it right and i will say uh just a couple closing things you know there are every city has um most bigger cities have an audubon uh, some sort of Audubon presence um, and or or local groups that you can do birding tours with. Uh, I know Mitchell That's Lake point. Mitchell yeah. Lake has tours of gosh, they probably have maybe six six different tours a month, you know, at different times, um, usually in the mornings, but uh, different times, different days where they've got guides and you just show up and you know pay your little entrance fee and then you go and bird with a guide for a few hours yeah and and it's a great way to learn you learn and you're supporting the conservation in your area so i think that that is also a really good that's a very good point absolutely and then one more thing you know this is a good thing to do with kids Mm -hmm. yeah it can it helps to teach kids 
patience. It teaches them um, observation skills. It teaches them, uh, you know, to appreciate nature. I was just going to say to respect nature. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I know that a lot of and some some areas will have junior birding groups, too. Yeah. And you can get binocs for kids. Um, so lots of different ways. To well, I know get when you used involved. to work at Mitchell Lake, you used to do some work for them. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a couple of, and I used to be on the board mm-hmm. actually at Mitchell yeah, Lake. Uh, we would see children's group, the school groups coming oh, through. Every day and we they're, had school groups. They are so fascinated by, mm-hmm. by nature. And it just goes to show, I think kids, when they're provided those opportunities, they actually gravitate toward right. that. So Definitely. it's great. Great all around. All right. All right, so our um, our resources of the week will be the ones we've mentioned. So we'll have some links out to the field guide and then also to binoculars. What about the recipe of the week? All right, so let's make a recipe for the birds. Yay. <laughs> and, you know, I know that uh, you can use just peanut butter for this, um, but I, I found a recipe that, and this is cool because these are vegan. When you make bird seed the balls like the homemade type you know ones that you hang from the trees for birds they typically use suet or lard mm-hmm. which is animal fat right and it's that's good for the birds because it provides an energy source you know especially in the winter when you're in a cold climate they've got that energy source and then the seeds mixed in but you can also do that vegan and you can use the the one that I'm going to link to is um uh, you can either use coconut solid coconut oil or um, just vegetable shortening. And then it's it's a little bit of that mixed with peanut butter. And then I think polenta and birdseed. And then I think some oats. And so just a bunch of different things that will give them different types of um, nutrients and energy. Yeah. And they're really easy to put together. And then you can hang them from trees. You can put them in, in uh, you know, like a, a flat bird feeder or different things. Yeah, I'm so glad you put your bird feeder up front now. We had it in the back, but then we had to stop feeding the birds when we had the two dogs because we had a couple couple of close calls with some wet birds and mm-hmm. some uh Yeah, they can't get them unless the birds dogs. are wet. Yeah, but uh didn't want to take that chance mm-hmm. and then with any squirrels that come hopping by too, the dogs go crazy. So we decided to move the bird feeder up front. So hopefully we'll start to get some more of those. And of course, you've always had the hummingbird feeders in the mm-hmm. back, which are really cool. And I love when we're running out, they let us know. <laughs> They'll they come right up to the to the to the yeah. patio door, and we'll be looking in like, yeah, hey, if the uh, nectar if the nectar gets low, they will come right up to the the, <laughs> the sliding door and yeah. just just hover there. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> You need to refill this. Ma'am, you are running a little low. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that does it for our episode this week. Until next time, peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.